This is Real History with Melissa, and I am Melissa, and today is the 7th of December, 2023, and I had Plan to be talking with someone from England, but they were under the weather, and I was a bit low energy myself on Sunday, and frankly still am, but I wanted to put out something for this week, so here it is. I was thinking about, you know, going on how many, this is episode 45, so I'm headed towards a year of doing these real histories. And one of the, there there were several things that kind of sparked the idea of doing this. And one was a conversation that I had with a retired beat cop from LA um, who really planted the idea in my head of something like this. Now, he says that he'll do one of these with me. At first he said, no, I don't have anything to say. And I'm like, are you kidding? You know, or retired beat cop from L.A. has plenty to say. A retired beat cop from L.A. who listened to Alan has plenty to say, I'm quite sure. So he's finally, I've, I've worn him down, and he'll do this with me at some point. But I wanted to to talk to people, I, th- I thought maybe longtime listeners, who had gotten a lot out of Alan's work and wanted to share that with other people. And then as time went on, I realized I want to talk to other people. I want to talk to people who have just come to the information. And there's a woman we've been, she's unfortunately had a death in the family and that's kept her occupied, but she's newer to the work of Alan and, and a lovely lady. And I think there's something to be learned from listening to anybody talk frankly she says oh well I'm brand new I don't I don't know that much I'm just studying I'm so far behind and anyone who for whatever reason comes to that point in their life where they break with seeing things the way that we're supposed to be seeing them they break through the illusions has something to say that that I think is useful for people to hear So that was sort of the inception, but one thing that I didn't think about that has been a consistent comment from people is how much they appreciate the sense of connection that they have to other people out there who are listening. A lot of people say, you know, I've been listening to Alan's work for years I've listened to his talks, and I've always felt that I was alone. There was nobody in my family and my circle of friends and my community that I could even think about presenting his work to. So that feeling that they're not alone, that they're connected, has been an important part of this, and I feel good about that. And I'll get emails from people that want to want me to bring back, you know, how is Michael in Sweden? We want to hear from him again. Or Adam, which we just did get a chance to hear from him again. And they've made these digital relationships that I think are more real than the kinds of silly connections people make when they follow an influencer, for instance. We want to hear people's ups and downs and how they're doing. 
And so I will let you know that I heard from Darren in South Africa recently. And he let me know that thanks to some of the donations that came in from people who were listening to Real History, and I will say, in particular, there was one young listener in Canada who just made it his responsibility, you know, if if Petrus Bacabetti gold is not met by September the 19th, I will complete it. And he did. And so I wanted to let you know that Petrus has been able to buy a little minivan with the money that came in on that Bacabetti. And Darren said not only that, you know, the, the, the van is more reliable, but it's also more visible so the painting on the side, letting people know about farm murders, farm killings in South Africa. He's now got a bigger billboard. And there are other positive things that are happening. And I think, thank you listeners, that those of you who felt called to donate to what he's doing have helped him raise the profile for this very important subject. So I definitely want to get Darren and Petrus and probably Joanne, um, Petrus's right-hand woman that he's never met, who helps him tremendously, um, back on in the new year to talk and update us on what's going on. And I also want to take a, a opportunity here to remind you that even though his initial goal has been met. He still has financial needs. And if anyone has some extra money that is burning a hole in their wallet, <laughs> this is a, a good place that you can spend some of that. It's, I believe, a very worthy cause. So that is another thing. I had no idea when I started that, that this format would bring attention to serious stories in which we all, as listeners hearing about them, could make a difference in the direction that those stories unfold. So raising awareness for this horrible, these farm killings in South Africa, which are mostly, but not all, against white farmers. It, this is a very important story. There are, I, so... Right now, as I do a little bit of real history housekeeping, I just want to let you know that in the new year, there are, there's a biochemist, longtime friend, uh, phone friend of Alan Watt that I'm going to be talking to. And I said, I just want to answer a few questions about the virus or a virus and et cetera, et cetera. And once I planted that seed of what I was after in his mind, he just went further and further in his research with it as he is prone to do. And so we've had a back and forth on email and he said, well, what I'm really getting to is the origin of all life. And I said, well, that is a biggie. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to Steve in the new year. There are other people. There's someone who lives on a boat in the Netherlands, and he's kind of on the fence if he's going to talk or not. 
he was initially very open to it, and now he's he's just in a place of prioritizing where he's at in his mental state, meaning there's a time and a place for everything, and he may be in a more introspective place uh, and less a place of sharing. But there's somebody else who's traveled all around in a van and for years and has many interesting stories that they've shared with me via email. And there's three people from Scotland with different stories. And the fellow from England that I didn't get a chance to talk to and someone in Canada that was a, a friend to Alan and to, to me when I was there. Uh, and, you know, he actually helped dig up the well when the well broke and had to be replaced. And so lots of stories left to tell, I think. So that's, that's a little bit of the, the housekeeping on real history. But I was thinking, well, if I'm doing a little bit of a solo catch up with you today, what can I talk about? And, One of the podcasts that I did at the very beginning of November, I entitled Buffy Goes to Hollywood. And this was an interesting story to me about Buffy St. Marie, a singer who was exposed by a CBC piece as not being an indigenous Canadian uh, who was adopted into an American family. So I did that story because it caught my attention and the Hollywood angle of it was interesting to me. But what surprised me about that episode was that it took off and became uh, far and away by several thousands the most popular podcast that I had put out and I was a bit mystified by that. But then I realized okay, this was this is a popular culture story that has been in the mainstream. And so people are finding it who have never heard of me. They've never heard of Alan Watt. They've never heard of Cutting Through the Matrix. But they're looking for all things related to Buffy St. Marie. So I had a lot of interesting feedback, some positive, some not so positive, um, and I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, mostly because I just don't have time to read every little thing that gets forwarded to me about it. But the other day, I got a series of comments that just came in, boom, 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 one after the other, from someone who was clearly in the middle of watching the video. And they were a little outraged with me, quite upset, I would say. And they seem to stop watching the video to send a comment and then watch a little bit more and send another comment. And the, the, the gist of it was this was a person who said that they were Indian. I'm not sure if they were Canadian or American, but they were Indian. And this was a CBC hit piece on Buffy St. Marie. And the 60 scoop wasn't really the 60 scoop. It went way back, so she could have been scooped up. And 
these birth certificates could be made up, this could have all been played with, et cetera, et cetera. So they were very defensive of Buffy. And they made several points which conflicted with each other, which I understood because they were writing in a very emotional state. So they'd say one thing and then sort of contradict it in the very next thing that they typed. One thing they said was that it wasn't shocking at all that uh, Buffy would hug her brother on the runway and have a long conversation with him, even if she had alleged that would would allege later that he had sexually abused her because she was caught off guard in that situation. And then they, you know, defended the idea that she could have been a 60 scoop baby because, as I said, they were, you know, he said they were scooping back in the 40s. And then they said, um, and it doesn't really matter anyway because the Cree family that adopted her stand by her and that makes her Cree. And on and on and on they went. Uh, Meanwhile, I'd heard from someone else who was telling me that that these babies who were scooped, they'd been done a favor because there's so much violence and alcoholism on the reservation that they had been saved from a bad life, which I took with a grain of salt because whatever the circumstances of one's upbringing to remain in your family is, we hope the best situation and to make a blanket statement that these reservations are filled with violence and alcoholism and they're just better off somewhere else. I I can't get behind that. And I responded to them. I said, look, I have Indian blood. I'm not even sure that that story would have been that interesting to me or I would have noticed it if I didn't come from this background of having enough of it so that a branch of my family strongly identifies with their tribal background.
They, one of my uncles was the chief of the tribe that got together for huge multi-state powwows. So I, I have been exposed to the good parts of that culture in America. And I have also seen... I haven't lived it, but I have seen what happens when a conquered people are put in what they call reservations and the depression and isolation and sense of alienation that can breed things like alcoholism. So I simply said to that person, if you bring me a native that claims that they were scooped and that they're grateful that they were scooped out of that environment and raised by a Caucasian family somewhere. That is, that, that story might interest me, but, you know, only if it's a personal, verifiable story do I find that even remotely interesting. But the other thing going into this, my own experience is that we, my family, my siblings, had enough native blood in us that when some minerals were found on tribal lands, they, the government sent out a notice to everyone, we have found these minerals on your tribal land and we are now sending you money. And when we were really young children, we just thought that was the coolest thing. My parents were had no emotional connection to the fact that they had Indian heritage. That was not part of my day-to-day living. I mean, yes, we knew about it. We'd go to visit my mother's father and... He was always finding arrowheads on his land and digging, you know, and they, they were that, there were parts of the family, my mother's father and some of her brothers who were very into this heritage. But myself and my family, my immediate family, we didn't have that experience, but we did have the experience as children of getting money from the government because minerals had been found on our, our <laughs> tribal lands. And what we did with the money at one point, the there were there were only a few payments. I think maybe four over the years of our childhood. And what we were able to do with that money was to help my father buy a beautiful uh, grand piano for my mother, who is a very accomplished musician, pianist, and organist. Uh, a piano that is still in the family. So that's what we did with the money. But then when it came time, you know, to go to university, there was not enough Indian blood in our family at this level, you know, down through the generations that we could go to the government and say, well, we're Indians, so we want some help with our college tuition. That wasn't, you know, so what I'm saying is the government knows very well 
who you are, where you are, and how much Indian blood they deem that you have before they give you money. And if they do give you money, it might, you know, mineral rights is one thing, but funding your university experience is another thing altogether. So that's, those are some of my own personal background for going into the story. But this person was just outraged and they were outraged that I called, you know, that I referred to her as indigenous. And I, I get it, you know, that <laughs> I hate that word. We didn't use that word. You know, everything is political correctness. You know, when I grew up, we had Indian blood and we knew our tribes and I'm not going to share that with you. Uh, not today, but I know the tribe that I come from. And it's monitored. It's known. It's known to the government. So with that background, the story was interesting. So I, so I do understand, you know, we called them Indians when we were growing up. Uh, we said we are Indian. We didn't, we might say once we were told, well, Indians are people who come from India or, you know, well, then we might say, oh, we're Native American. We have Native American blood. But we didn't do that much. It was just we're Indian. We have Indian blood in us. So the word indigenous is just weird. When I hear the word indigenous, I think of a plant that has always grown in a certain area. Um, for it to be applied to people, I, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but that's what they do. I went along with it in that I, I didn't make a big issue of indigenous. I just referred to her as someone who had claimed indigenous blood. Anyway, I really got slammed. And the point was not to defend myself against the slamming. It's just that before I got the series of comments from him, I had stumbled on another follow-up story that came out, I don't really remember the date of it right now, but it was probably a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, oh, well, if I talk about that, this would be a good title for this episode. So here it is. This is the title of an article I stumbled on. Buffy St. Marie may not be native, but she could be Jewish. And then I decided against using that as a title of an episode, and here is why. I'm not doing this podcast or these talks or these conversations with people so that they become, you know, really super popular and, oh, that was my, that was my biggest, uh, episode to date because what it brings in are people that have never heard of Alan. They have no concept that they are living in a matrix, a, con a artificial construct that they call reality. One of the other outrages, he was just absolutely outraged with me because I had made a comparison between the material world, Madonna, and George Harrison having a similar title 
George Harrison had the same agent or was connected, did a photo shoot at the age at Buffy St. Marie's agent's house. So I was just making a connection that Hollywood gives ideas to people, gives themes, they just recycle them. So you've got George Harrison coming up with this, and then 10 or 15 years later, Madonna comes out with a different spin on the same title. It could be a completely different theme, but, um, you know, that's how Hollywood works. It's just recycling of concepts and people. So um, this person was just outraged that I would dare to compare Madonna to George Harrison, which I didn't really do. But anyway, they said, Buffy never did any of that. She's being raked over the coals over nonsense. I've said a lot more about this on the other video here. They, uh, blah, 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 uh, comparing the material, comparing the material, disgusting, disgraceful Madonna to George Harrison is ludicrous. George was showing how the material world means nothing. Don't forget he was into transcendental meditation. Madonna is a foul-mouthed, disgusting creature of Satan's realm. She's sacrilegious and anti-American. Okay, so that is his opinion there on that comparison that I made. And I was considering that, and then he got back with something else. And then he said, you know, she would never do any of that. Well, I had found a picture. I didn't use an illustration of, I mean, Buffy's just dressed up ridiculously. And, yeah, she would have done anything. She would have dressed in any way. She goes to meet the queen with her headdress on. I mean, really? When I, I, th I thought about this more and more, and I thought, you know, this would be like black singers or black group from the 60s or 70s who dress up like tribal Africans to go to meet some head of state or the queen or whatever. I mean, that only cements my own response to the story from the Hollywood angle is it doesn't ring true of someone who comes from something, who, who has that heritage and it's dear to them. So I'm thinking about all of the comments and blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, well, this is just easy. She's now come out with another, with a statement and she said she has the documentation that her brother abused her, but she doesn't want to hurt her estranged family. And she, ha and she has the documentation that this birth certificate has been tampered with. Well, or, you know, that it's not actually real. Well, sorry, I just, you know, the CBC and places like that, they don't just go do hit pieces on people without a, an enormous amount of fact-checking because of liability. And at this point, to say that you've got the evidence but you don't want to reveal it because you don't want to hurt them, well, they're already deeply hurt. They've been hurt for decades. And these allegations about her not being adopted came from family members as far back as the 70s. So if she has information that can cast light on that, why not come out with it? I'm not in, you know, a, I don't do Ancestry.com, 
But at this point, a simple DNA test, even though her parents are no longer alive, the the niece comparing DNA to the aunt, you're going to have a significant amount of genetic material in common that simply would not happen if you were not biologically related. So there are a lot of ways that she could put this story to rest. And then quite cynically, is this just PR? Because, I mean, at 82 years old, you know, the Hollywood reinvention to, to stay relevant seems to be, oh, I'm a lesbian now, or, you know, me too, me too, I was abused by so and so. When fading stars want to be relevant, that's what they do. And I noticed, I don't know if she won, I didn't follow it too closely or not, but that she had either been nominated for an Emmy or had received an Emmy award recently. So, you know, is this just PR? Any publicity is good publicity, according to P.T. Barnum. So just things to think about, and that's what I do. But the, but the, the point of all of this, of talking about it in the first place, is because I was interested in culture creation. I was interested in how stars are made and how they're promoted. And frankly, I don't really see a big difference between the damage that Madonna has done to culture and the Beatles have done to culture. I mean, think about it. The Beatles were huge in popularizing drugs, and they were huge in popularizing um, the New Age. And, you know, this guy's defending transcendental meditation. Like I say, he's obviously not a listener to Alan. So that's the point. I'm not looking for the big, huge audience. I'm looking for my tribe. And my tribe are people who question things, who don't hold on to the official story because it's the official story, nor do they go to the antithesis. They think about it from their own unique point of view, if they have one, if they can have one. Again, that's it. That's because I'm looking for people who really resonate with everything that Alan Watt talked about for years and years, that this has hit them deep in their core, deep in them. They spark to what he has said. This has changed their lives. And our window for connecting with one another is closing. That opportunity that we have gets narrower all the time. The transcriber came up with the idea of transcript booklets, which we have done. And she said, it it, it just came to her strong that the the Allen's words needed to be in a form people could just fold it up and put it in their back pocket at a day when we don't have the internet or there's so much control over the internet that there's not a possibility to share real information that so you could just fold up a transcript book booklet put it in your back pocket and go and have it with you And I had said to someone that I thought that I should put transcripts 
in bottles and then cast them out into the ocean and just see where they go. And I was making a joke, the message in a bottle. But this person just thought it was a fantastic idea. They wanted to get going on it right away. It, it would be, you know, CTTM road trip. And we just load up transcripts and bottles and go coast to coast and toss them out. And it's kind of a funny image when I think about it because the transcripts have been done in, now in many languages. So we can toss them out in Spanish and German and Russian and Polish and French and English and just see what happens. And then I was thinking, well, so far into the future, you know how they show on Star Trek, you've got the translator because, you know, nobody speaks the old languages anymore. And, and somehow these universal translators, what is that, AI? They just recognize what you're saying and they can instantly translate it. So I won't have that that I can include with my message in the bottle. But then I thought about it this morning and I thought, well, you know, that mind that is keen to question everything and that it, that wants answers, that seeks truth, maybe there's something there that even transcends language. So when they're reading something that's an alien language, it's true. And it's on paper. And maybe there's enough truth on paper that they can somehow spiritually have it universally translated into their head. So all of this is a fantastical joke. You know, I, there's only so much time in the day and I don't foresee stuffing transcripts into bottles and driving coast to coast. But it's a lovely idea to think that truth, as we've not seen in our lifetime, as we've not heard in our lifetime, that was given to us by Alan, is something that could be disseminated in such a way that no matter what happened to the Internet, that down through time one person to another. Is it just the oral tradition? I remember my father said that he listened to somebody named, is it like that? And what humanity will be left because we are really in a pickle right now. So that's it. I'm looking for tribe. I'm not looking for fame or infamy or popularity, but my tribe. I want to say here that I am going to have a little addendum that will be for some channels, but not all channels. So I will tack, I will complete my thought and have that addendum momentarily. But for all of you who have been listening for the past 44, now 45 episodes of Real History, I thank you. Um, I'm in a challenging time myself right now, and I'm not sure how regular I can be with these in the month of December. And so stick with me. There's one thing that I simply will not drop the ball on or take a vacation unless I'm 
you know, like in traction <laughs> with no use of my limbs. And even then I'd find some kind of dictation. Oh, it's got, you know, this must go on <laughs> to put the redux up every single Sunday must happen. It just is, it's my own personal must be. But thank you for your support. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, share it, pass it on, consider um, visiting the website and making some kind of a monetary subscription on a regular basis. That would be really helpful to me and very, very much appreciated. Before I tack on my addendum, now that I've wrapped up all the housekeeping for real history, I want to share with you just a little bit of the article of how this almost got the title, Buffy St. Marie may not be native, but she could be Jewish. Not too long ago, bombshell information hit entertainment news. According to an article in the New York Post, November 17, 2023, Buffy St. Marie, icon of Native American accomplishment and pride, was found out to be a fraud. The songstress of the 60s, whose lyrics graced every hootenanny, a woman who wore her moccasins, beads, and feathers proudly, is now mocked as faux Cahontas, and cast in the same low light as other wannabes who adopted minority racial or ethnic status in order to cash in on the victimology of the day. Thanks to the diligence of freelance reporter Jacqueline Keeler, it became clear that Ms. St. Marie had reinvented herself as an indigenous Native American born in Canada on the Peelpot Cree Reservation who was later adopted by an American family in Massachusetts. Although she was born and grew up as Beverly Jean Santa Maria in a typical Massachusetts town, for more than 60 years, Buffy St. Marie perpetuated her fake Native American status to garner numerous film and television appearances and win dozens of awards and accolades, including a commemorative Canadian postage stamp, all of which were intended exclusively to highlight the accomplishments of real Indigenous Native people. In 2022, when journalist Keeler labeled Buffy as a pretendian or pretend Indian, Buffy St. Marie's story began to unravel. That's when Ms. Keeler, a Native American herself, discovered St. Marie's original birth certificate, which effectively debunked the myth that Ms. St. Marie, 82, had been born on a Canadian reservation and that she had been adopted. Buffy, named Beverly Jean, was actually born into her Italian-American Santa Maria family. Disgraced? Yes. Confused? Could be. That's why our Italian Jewish Cultural Center of Calabria, the IJCCC, encourages Ms. St. Marie to consider claiming her rightful place in the minority kaleidoscope. Why? Given what we know about the Spanish Inquisition and its history, our staff can say with near certainty that Buffy's original Italian surname, Santa Maria, is an invented converso surname that has verifiable Jewish roots. Names like Santa Maria, meaning Holy Mary, along with other Italian surnames such as Cristiano, 
Christian man. Spirito Santo, Holy Spirit, Didio, Son of God, and even Aitomi Christo, Help Me Christ, were adopted by Jewish families to bamboozle Inquisition authorities into believing that the Jews they had persecuted and forced into Christian conversion had now become devoted to the Christian Church. Buffy's Santa Maria ancestors were most likely part of a group known by the Hebrew phrase Benai Anusim, which translates as children of the forced ones. In modern times, this phrase means that many Italian-Americans, such as Buffy herself, have ancestors who were chased by Inquisition authorities from Spain to Portugal, then to Sicily, and finally to the mainland of, south, of southern Italy. When they were caught, these Jews were forced, under pain of arrest, torture, or death, to accept adult Christian baptism. In fact, we find the surname Santa Maria listed in the Dictionary of Sephardic Surnames. It is the moniker of a Jewish family living in Toledo, Spain in 1492, the year of the expulsion of the Jews, when they and many others like them attempted to hide in plain sight by adopting holier-than-thou Christian surnames. Buffy St. Marie's Spanish Santa Maria ancestors may very well have been a part of this group. Further documentation of the Jewish roots of the Santa Maria surname is found in Chaim Beinart's book, Conversos on Trial, Peter Bonin's classic, Sangre Judea, Jewish Blood, and the iconic volume that tells the B'nai Anusim story, Cecil Roth's definitive, A History of the Moranos. Local historians based in the toe of the Italian boot report that the southern Italian island of Selina, part of the Mediterranean archipelago called the Aeolian Islands, was the home of the Santa Maria family for generations. Selina residents say, It is likely that our ancestors first arrived in the Aeolian Islands following the expulsion of Jews from Spain in 1492. Santa Maria was a commonly adopted name for those who converted to Christianity under duress in the 14th and 15th centuries. For more than 20 years, the IJCCC has responded to hundreds of requests from men and women with Italian heritage who are eager to learn if their surnames have Jewish roots traceable back to the Sephardic Jews of Spain. They want answers to questions ranging from, Who am I? And who was I? To, I've always felt Jewish. Could it be that our family was once Jewish? The New York Post reports that possibly in an attempt at damage control, Buffy St. Marie wrote that she never knew exactly where she was from. Although this statement in no way excuses her behavior, it does speak to long-buried emotions felt by thousands of men and women with lost Italian Jewish heritage. As one woman who contacted us wrote, I always felt out of place. It was a relief to know my surname has Jewish roots. Possibly Buffy St. Marie could feel that same sense of relief by coming clean regarding her lack of Native American heritage. Even at 82, Buffy, a.k.a. Beverly Santa Maria, could embark on a new journey, discovering and embracing her Italian Jewish roots. And this piece was written, this article was written by Rabbi Barbara Aiello, the first woman and not first non-Orthodox rabbi in Italy. 
She opened the first active synagogue in Calabria since Inquisition times and is the founder of the Bene Anusim movement in Calabria and Sicily that helps Italians discover and embrace their Jewish roots. Well, like I say, it's all very interesting to me. But in this show, Real History, like I said, I'm looking for my tribe. So I thank you for sticking with me in this. And next week, I'm happy to be talking to Neil Foster again. So I look forward to that. And who knows what the rest of the month will bring. And I I hope it does work out with Neil. I know he's on his hectic holiday work schedule. So hopefully that happens. And, um, And there you go. Thank you. And now for my addendum, which is this. Besides being able to learn about lots of different things that I was not familiar with or well-versed in, such as farm killings in South Africa. I have been able to talk to people who were expert, if you will, in their areas or who've dived into something and really given it a commitment that I think is commendable. And one of them is Dr. William Mackus that I spoke with on Real History in August. As I mentioned then, I often near daily look at some of the substack writing that Dr. Mackus puts out. And the one that he put out, I guess, early this morning or last night was entitled MRNA Injury Series, Suicides Due to COVID-19, Vaccine Side Effects. 21-year-old Emilia Brangfalt, Swedish athlete, world champion trail runner, ended her life due to cardiac injury. Ten tragic cases. Now, this is a hard one to read and watch and look at all of the documentation. After each suicide, uh, and not all of them went through, but they had suicidal ideation and they were in a really... Uh, I think there were at least two of them that fit that category. The rest did end up killing themselves. So he would say, my take. So on this first one, the trail runner, he said, my take. Amelia is presumed to have been COVID-19 vaccinated. The only question is, how many COVID-19 vaccines did she take and when did she take them? And then he goes case by case with people who are either trying, people who are either trying to Um, end their life right now or who have ended their life and he does each one my take and what's going on some of them like that first one was presumed vaccine injury but some of them we do know that they are vaccine injured and then he got down to one I'm actually going to share a bit of the story if I can find a place to download audio on this I will otherwise I'll link there's several good places where this Kyle Warner is talking to people, including um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Children's Defense Fund. Uh, Very heartbreaking story. 29-year-old Kyle Warner, professional mountain biker, developed pericarditis, POTS, 
and reactive arthritis following second dose of Pfizer's COVID shot. He posted a video on Instagram stating that six vaccine-injured people committed suicide in a month. This was November of 2021. Now, as far as I know, this guy, he said he was not going to end his life, and he is still on the go, and he has made the rounds. But as he broke down, he pulled over on the side of the road on the way from a doctor's appointment, and he made this video, and he broke down in tears. And one of the reasons why he was crying was because his tribe, his family, and his friends had had just hated him for coming out and saying that this was a vaccine injury. And he kept, as he was crying, saying, can we not have some compassion for each other? Can we not treat each other with some kindness? And that's a, that's a biggie for me because I think definitely in, in my tribe of like-minded people, we are people that have compassion. And I have compassion for this native person who wrote me and hated what I did because I don't think that he is awake to culture, control, any of the things that longtime listeners to Alan are going to have ticking around in their heads. He's going to accept a more mainstream version of how our culture is created. But when we get into, you know, arguments and slanging with people, when what we're trying to do isn't to help or to educate or to bring some kind of comfort, uh, what are we really doing? At the very end of all of these suicide conversations, Dr. Macus said, My take, some substacks are very difficult to write. This one was one of the most difficult. So as we head into the Christmas season, people get more stressed out this time of the year. And I just encourage you all to have compassion one for the other and some kindness as you go about your days. I thank you for listening and have a good week. Thank you.